0: Hey everybody, and welcome to A Friend in Me, a podcast about friendship, culture, and the kingdom of God, all through the lens of Pixar. Today is a very exciting episode. I had a conversation on The Incredibles with my dad, and I didn't even originally plan for it to come out with Father's Day, but it just worked out that way, which is awesome. So I hope you enjoy this special Father's Day episode, and happy Father's Day to all you dads out there listening. Now, before we get into The Incredibles, I want to let you know about a couple things coming up on the podcast. Next Tuesday, I'll be releasing another Patreon supporter-only bonus episode, which will do a little bit more of a deep dive into The Incredibles, specifically the social politics of the villain. We'll talk a little bit more in depth about the phrase, if everyone's super, no one will be. And we'll discuss what we think Brad Bird was getting at and whether that's a healthy message for the film to portray. So if you are interested in that, I encourage you to sign up for my Patreon. You can go to patreon.com and search Porter Sprigg, and you'll have access to that episode with me and my friends Nick Blondell and Joe Bandy. I'm also excited to tell you about our live stream episode, which will be on July 8th, and will be focused on the new Pixar film Lightyear. I'm going to have a panel of friends discussing that movie. It'll be a little different than our normal episodes and will include more listener questions and interactive portions. So be sure to be there on July 8th, and I'll let you know the time when we get closer to that day. And also make sure to watch Lightyear before that so that you can engage with the discussion. Now let's turn to The Incredibles. So I'm going to read you a summary of the plot, and then we'll transition into my conversation with my dad. So here's a summary. Married superheroes, Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, are forced to assume mundane lives as Bob and Helen Parr, after all superpowered activities have been banned by the government. While Mr. Incredible loves his wife and kids, he longs to return to a life of adventure, and he gets a chance when summoned to an island to battle an out-of-control robot. Soon, Mr. Incredible is in trouble, and it's up to his family to save him. All right. Happy Father's Day again to all of you out there, and I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and my dad around the Incredibles. I'm here today with a good friend of mine. We go way back. That's right. I'm here with my dad, Peter Sprigg. I'm really excited to talk about The Incredibles with him today.
1: How are you doing, Dad? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be able to participate in this venture of yours. Uh, And my claim to fame, one claim to fame, I guess, would be that I probably took you to see this movie when you were a little kid the first time you saw it in the theater. Actually, Dad, I don't think that's true. Oh, really?
0: I went to this in second grade with Haley Snowden. I think it was my first date as of my life.
1: Oh, but I was me. there
0: with Haley and her mom took me. Oh I didn't know that. And I was thinking about that today. I was like, wow, <laughs> I wonder what Haley Snowden is up to. So if you're listening, Haley, we had a great first date. You picked a good movie. Do you oh, remember that? My, no, all? I
1: didn't remember that at all. So I'm
0: sure we I'm sure I came back from it and told you, Oh, it's so good and then we went to it as a family. Again. okay, But uh Wow. Yeah. I remember being super nervous because I was like, I'm going to a movie with a girl. <laughs> but then the movie was so good, I kind of forgot about that part. But <laughs> So let's talk about our friendship, Dad. Uh, this is a unique episode for me. It's exciting to be here with you. But yeah, what are so, some of the things that have bonded us in our relationship
1: over the years? Well, Pixar movies would be one of those things, I think. We've been to a lot of them together. Yeah. And... Um, Also, uh, baseball is a big thing that has bonded us. I I managed to successfully turn you into a Boston Red Sox fan. uh, Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. And loved going to your games when you were playing baseball growing up. Also, reading is something, I think, that has united us a lot. I mean, I remember reading to you as a kid and then getting to the point where you would read to me on our long road trips. And uh, really enjoyed that. And of course, our faith is something that bonds us as well.
0: Yeah. I think we both really love stories and we connected a lot over different stories. And like you said, I would read to you in the car all these different stories and I would be crying while reading and you'd be crying while listening. We really <laughs> connected to some great books. Do you remember which, which was your favorite Or any of the books that... I remember I
1: read Ender's Game to you
0: later, like in
1: high school. Yeah, I was going to say, I think maybe the Ender's Game series, which I know you've done, has meant a lot to you. You've done a lot of uh, even academic research on Ender's Game, but um, I, I think I do recall that. I don't remember any other specific books Did you read the Artemis Fowl uh, series to me? Maybe one or two. I think you read that yourself,
0: mostly. But there was one time we were on a road trip, and usually you and mom would have to split the driving a lot, and you had to nap all the time. You guys need your rest on your road trips. And there was one time we had a baseball trivia book. Right. And it was so captivating for you that... You drove the whole way. You didn't need mom because I was asking you these baseball trivia
1: questions. Trivia questions about baseball rules, like obscure situations. And what is the ruling in this situation? Which I think is funny now that you're umpiring uh, uh, a baseball umpire.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just started umpiring youth baseball. So I have to remember all those trivia questions that (laughs) we asked each other. But yeah, so we've really bonded a lot over, over stories, over baseball, and I know this is one of your favorite Pixar movies. So it was cool for us to get to watch it today yes. together. Yeah. Well, we, we have the Incredibles on DVD, the special edition DVD, which we watched today. And I knew we were going to have a good time by the amount of laughter that was present when we were watching the Chicken Little trailer. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you thought it was so funny because they were saying, he, alert, he alerted us. Uh, but no one was listening to his warnings and dad started cracking up. And I well, thought, It
1: sounded kind of like that. What was that movie last year? Don't look up or whatever, you know, I, but except for this is chicken little. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the
0: real, the, the original don't look up, but yeah. Anyway, my dad, one of the best things about watching a movie with my dad is the laughter that will ensue at every little joke. One time, people moved away from us in the movie theater because we were watching Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> and what, why
1: did they leave us then? Well, uh, I think I had seen it before. And this was my second time seeing it. And um, they were showing the opening credits. And in the opening credits of Paul Blart Mall Cup, there's this very dramatic music and as the as the camera sort of flies, if you will, over the badge of this um, shopping mall security guard. And I just started laughing before <laughs> the movie even started at this at the opening uh, credits. and these people, yeah, they've got up and moved away. <laughs>
0: And if this is the second time you'd seen it, you'd think you'd be like, oh, I'm not going to laugh at the opening, but here you go. (laughs) But yeah, no, your laughter is always a treat. I can't, there's always these times we would have to pause Parks and Rec because you and mom were laughing so hard that we couldn't listen to the rest of the episode.
1: But, uh, well our laughter but also Porter our tears'm I'm, I'm a person who's not afraid to cry at a movie uh, even if I'm in the theater and or at home uh, yeah and there's so there's a lot of that too that's always struck <laughs> me that I feel
0: like I see you cry more at stories or like books or movies than
1: about kind of your own life do you think that's true or I do I don't know I don't know why that is but maybe I, I'm I'm more able to... Let those emotions out when I'm experiencing them vicariously than when I'm experiencing them directly. I yeah, that you that we don't want you to psychoanalyze me right now. But.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I'm a crier at movies too. I get that from you and Mom. But <laughs> my friends joke about it. I the one that I tease myself about is I cried at Santa Paws two, <laughs> and that just is like the <laughs> the epitome of wow. Any movie can get me to cry, but. <laughs> I mean, it was a little girl who was singing the song that her mom used to sing every Christmas. It was beautiful, but mm. yes,
1: we're criers. So did you cry today watching The Incredibles? I did. I, 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 didn't, I didn't like sob, but there were several points in the movie that made me tear up.
0: Yeah, me too. I cried probably halfway through the movie when the plane blows up and Bob thinks that his family died.
1: That Mm. really hit me.
0: That's emotional.
1: Yeah, it was an emotional moment.
0: It's an intense scene for a kid's movie. I do feel like there's a good amount of intensity in this one.
1: Yes, there are several things. I mean, I was going to talk about that on on a couple of the key points that um, there are some, some themes that are kind of adult themes, really. And this is one of the things I think is significant about Pixar movies is that even though they're suitable for children... They're not only for children. They actually contain some pretty serious themes. So let's get into this, Dad. You mentioned this is one of
0: your favorites. You have enjoyed this one for a while. What stood out to you this time watching it?
1: One thing that struck me that I hadn't really thought about as we were getting ready to watch it was the fact that most of the movie takes place under a situation where the superheroes have been forbidden to exercise their superpowers. And so uh, that's a little bit unusual for a superhero movie, I think. How they deal with that situation, how they cope with that situation where they've been asked not to exercise their powers is a large part of the, the conflict, uh, the dramatic conflict that, that drives the film.
0: Yeah, and you see it acting out in their lives in different ways. Like Dash, he's acting out in class and he's pulling pranks on his teacher because he really wants to do something with his energy and he wants to compete in sports, but he's been kept from doing that because they know that he'll reveal his powers or whatever. And then Violet, she's super insecure as a person and she keeps she's the one who keeps saying, but mom, you said never to use my powers. So she's really insecure because she doesn't know what to do with these gifts she's been given because she's not supposed to use them. And what other ways does it impact the family, you think, that that ban on their powers?
1: Well, of course, Mr. Incredible, uh, who is Bob, is in the basically the witness protection program uh, type of thing where he has a very dull boring job at an insurance company and you even mentioned that as a kid you found that the most boring part of the movie and, and but that was sort of the point he was yeah. here's this man who has done thrilling exciting things in his life and has these amazing powers and he is stuck in this extremely dull boring job where he still uh, finds ways to help people, but but not through using his power.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they show that in the animation so well by having this cramped cubicle and his huge frame is just slouched in this chair. Yeah, he's chair this big he's, muscular guy, yeah. And, and they're And it's a very gray room as well. So they're communicating that he is so much bigger than this environment he's been shoved into. And also the color is gone. The interesting flavor of life is gone in this new role for him. So yeah, I remember as a kid complaining, it gets really slow at towards the beginning when (laughs) he's in the insurance company, but that was the point. (laughs) Yeah. What stood out to me this time was the villain or the, a couple of the villains, including the robot villain that syndrome creates. But I think Brad Bird did a great job of creating a villain that fits his hero. So we see, of course, the origin story of Syndrome is Mr. Incredible's rejection of his help at the beginning of the film. So he says, fly home, buddy. I work alone. And Syndrome says that that taught him that he can't count on anyone, that he needs to be kind of the captain of his own ship and needs to work alone himself because his hero rejected him. And so he becomes uh, obsessed with this goal of becoming the hero and, uh, and then distributing his technology to the world. I think that there's a great connection between Syndrome's kind of solitary pursuit and Mr. Incredible's solitary pursuit that make them a good contrast. And we see one of the major differences is that Mr. Incredible values life and Syndrome disregards life. And Mirage points that out at one point. Yes. Um, Syndrome's female sidekick, I guess, or more like a confidant, I guess, she says to him, preserving life is not weakness. And disregarding life is not strength. And I thought that was a good line.
1: Yeah, that was a very good line that I, I wrote down.
0: Yeah, which is kind of, yeah, just a very life-affirming message as well. I mean, that's, as a Christian, I felt like that was a great, kind of almost a pro-life line, don't you think?
1: Yeah, well, um, yeah, I thought I thought it was very powerful. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it oh, okay. later in cool, the cool. theological. But.
0: <laughs> well... Uh, What also struck me was the robot at the end of the movie, and I don't think I ever caught this as a kid. The robot, Mr. Incredible says, the only thing strong enough to penetrate it is itself. So the only thing that could take down this robot was itself. And I was wondering if that's kind of a metaphor for Mr. Incredible in this film is that he is actually... The one he needs to overcome, his own selfishness and self-reliance is the thing he needs to defeat in this movie. And so the robot is kind of emulating that. The only thing that can take it down is itself. And similarly, Mr. Incredible's biggest weakness is self. Uh, do you think that I'm reading too much into that? Or? Well, you're
1: getting really deep, really, really fast, Porter. But that, <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's very interesting. I, I mean, I certainly do think that idea of self-destruction, is one of the one of the themes of the movies and you, of the movie and you can take it you can apply it symbolically in different ways. but there is you know at the end the the robot destroys itself. The beginning of the of the prohibition on the supers using their superpowers is when uh, Mr. Incredible prevents someone from committing suicide. Hmm. He he actually uh, he actually saves this man who's jumped off a building and the man uh, sues him uh, because he didn't want to be saved and uh, that um, so th- the, it begins with the self-destruction hmm. and you have you end with this theme of self-destruction.
0: Yeah yeah and you have a hero who is learning to not self-destruct. <laughs> and here's learning to rely on others, which I'm sure we'll get to. Anything else you feel like worth commenting on, maybe the animation or the music,
1: anything strike you? Well, of course, I love the character of Edna Mode, who is the uh, designer, the, uh, the fashion designer, who creates the, the suits uh, for the, the costumes for the superheroes. And she is just a great, a great character. I don't know you know, how much she advances the plot necessarily, but that is one of the great characters. And you were reminding me, Porter, that the voice of this elderly female character was actually done by Brad Bird, who was the director and screenwriter of uh, The Incredibles.
0: Yeah. And I think she would respond to you saying, Elderly, darling.
1: I am not elderly. I am timeless. <laughs> uh, she. Well, uh, and I think she's based on. Now, I'm going to get this wrong, but uh, partly on. There was a woman in Hollywood who was a famous costume designer um, named Edna Head, or something like oh. that. Edith Head, I think, was her name. So, I think she was maybe partly based on that uh, real life character. But that yeah, the voice is is really is really funny. Well, and you
0: you do see, she has this very modernist aesthetic. Her house is like the open the open glass, like kind of the cubism type design, and she has the high tech design studio. So she's very mu- she's very much an artist, and that is the other thing that struck me about this film is that I do think in a certain sense. It's a celebration of artists. So I don't know if that's... Yeah, I don't think that's something we'll touch on later. But I know that the Pixar environment is one of great artistic collaboration. And so I do think there's a sense in which they were celebrating the work of collaborative art making in this movie and Mm -hmm. saying that, like, Brad Bird... Basically, you need to be able to collaborate to create good. You can't just isolate um to create good and i think edna mode is an example she has a certain art form but so does the family and their their superheroes
1: yeah each of them yeah in a sense she's (laughs) she maybe is a superhero of her own because she is able to create these costumes that have all these ability to withstand all kind you know bulletproof fireproof and so forth that uh so uh, she's in a sense, one of the supers herself, even though not not by any sort of natural powers, but just by it being able to create these wondrous creations. She yeah. is a real artist.
0: And she's the one who kind of speaks truth into Elastigirl. This is where she comes in in the plot. Right. Is that she's the one who says, go, like, tell him who you are. Like, <laughs> like she puts the courage into Elastigirl to actually go and help her husband instead of wallow in the and to fight for her marriage Uh, yeah 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 okay well let's move to the cultural piece i know the reason you really love this movie or i I don't want to step on your toes actually so let's let's go into the cultural piece dad what did you see in this movie that speaks to our culture and what could it say about uh
1: yeah, about our culture today. Well, I have always loved this movie for its depiction of a nuclear family. I think this film realistically shows the conflicts and tensions that can exist within a family. But ultimately, it shows the loyalty and solidarity and love they have for one another as well.
0: Hmm. So what moments in the film... Bring you to that, are there specific scenes that you want to
1: bring up about how this upholds the family well wow i made uh, I made a notes as we were watching the movie, so yeah. I, I really have a long list of them. One of the funniest things at the very beginning of the movie, you have this dramatic scene when when Mr. Incredible is still a publicly recognized superhero. And he has this appointment he has to go to. They show him driving in his, you know, in his regular identity to uh, some appointment in his regular car. But then he finds out about these crimes that are happening or these disasters, these areas that need his help. And he looks at his watch and says, I've still got time. And he he saves three or four people (laughs) on, on his way to this event. And then he pulls up, to a church and walks in and you realize the event is his own wedding <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> where he marries uh, Helen, who turns out to be Elastigirl, a superhero in her own right. So it, it really, the opening scene, it, it begins with their wedding and then it, you know, it goes it, and even includes the line, as long as we both shall live, which takes on extra meaning because they face life-threatening yeah. <laughs> circumstances than throughout the rest of the movie, throughout their marriage. Well, and later in
0: the movie, at towards the end, Helen says to him, he says, I'm going to go fight them alone. I need you to stay here. And she looks at him and says, for better or for worse. Like, we're
1: together for better or for worse. Right. So she's r- recalling their vows. Their vows. Later, yeah. 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 I wrote down this one scene. Now, one interesting thing. Uh, at one point, the husband and wife are having an argument and it turns out the children are you know, listening to them and the children are stressed out about this. But she says, we're just having a discussion. We're always a team. And, and I thought of that as um, an indication of how, how marriage is supposed to work. There will be conflict between a husband and wife, but when you have an intact and committed marriage, the responsibility for negotiating that conflict rests on the parents, on the on the husband and wife. It does not rest upon the children. And uh, the children are uh, ideally protected from that.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because, yeah, they have this conflict in their marriage. And that scene where they're fighting is because of a deception where he had been pretending to go bowling with his friend. But he was actually out trying to fight crime. And... It's interesting because this film really does show the danger of deception in a marriage and keeping secrets because that's a smaller thing. But throughout the movie, because he has this habit of lying to his wife once a week, oh, we're going bowling. He actually then lies in a much bigger way and pretends that he still has his job and then he's going on a conference and all this. So the deception kind of builds and obviously that's, really unhealthy
1: which and that in turn actually leads to a suspicion of infidelity which you know is again a, a fairly adult theme to include in a children's movie now it turns out that uh mr incredible has not actually been unfaithful but she finds evidence which could legitimately be taken to hint at that and so there again you have uh you know a, a theme of a, a try a kind of trial that a that a married couple might go through.
0: Yeah. In a sense, he's not cheating on her with another woman physically, but in a sense it is almost like he's trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment apart from his family. Like his family isn't enough for him, he needs to be achieving. Do you think that?
1: Well, and that's what he says at the very end. Um I wrote this down as well. He says, "I've been a lousy father. I undervalued you." And he said, "You're my greatest adventure." He says that to his family. He was uh, he wasn't grateful for what he had at home,
0: right? Until he realizes that he almost lost it, right? Yes. Um. Yeah. That it's kind of funny that I wrote this down, and you had I don't think you've seen this show, but it actually there was parts of it that reminded me of Breaking Bad, where (laughs) because Walter White is this guy who is Yeah, running a... He's a high school chemistry teacher who starts running a meth lab, but he becomes more animated in life and is feeling this, like, fulfillment, and it's scratching this itch of him being someone who accomplishes or achieves, uh, and it then is animating him in, in some way, and so then when he comes home, he's more vibrant with his family. So we see this montage where he's working out. He's becoming... More uh, physically fit because he's trying to help Mirage and this. Oh, this we see
1: that in the Incredibles. Yeah, yeah, and
0: uh, yeah. So there's this montage in the movie where he's he's getting physically fit, and he and we see his wife and him becoming more affectionate. It seems like he and Helen are hitting it off more, but it's actually built. He has this new energy that's actually not coming from his family. Uh, it's coming from this opportunity to be a hero again that he's leaning into.
1: And well, and he's also because this mysterious person has offered him more money also. And so he's doing this after having been fired from his boring insurance company job. And but he's making more money, buys a new car, he buys like a sports car, you know, so it's almost like a midlife crisis uh, that he's going (laughs) through.
0: Yeah. So we have this example of the tension and the deception between them. And then you mentioned in the end, he says to them, you were my greatest adventure and I missed that. So what would you say is the lesson that the film is trying to communicate to families or maybe specifically to
1: fathers if we're focusing on Mr. Incredible? Well, I think the message for, for anyone in a family, anyone in a marriage is to fight for your marriage. And we mentioned Edna Mode, this, this character. He says, she tells Elastigirl, fight for him, you know, or, and, um, basically it's, it's fight for your marriage. Yeah. And he needs to realize his value is there. It's not in his career. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably, you know, a, a typical or at least a stereotypical thing that, that men find their value in their careers and don't put enough, uh, focus on their families. And, Uh, And so I I do think that was a a big part of the lesson. But one of the reasons I liked it was because everybody has to learn a little something. There isn't like a a good guy and bad guy within the family. They all have strengths, they all have weaknesses, and they have to learn to tolerate each other's weaknesses and affirm one another's strengths and, and, and use those strengths for the benefit of one another. And the brother and
0: sister have that as well, because at the beginning of the film, they're always fighting with each other. And then there's this great scene where he says, don't touch my sister. And he starts like beating (laughs) on the, like the villain. And then the villain starts shooting at him and she jumps in front. Violet jumps in front of dash with the force field protecting her brother. So they are going from seeing each other as annoyances
1: to, people who are beloved and worthy of protection and yeah, care. Yeah, they are totally defending one another. And, you know, that's something, too. Sometimes you will fight with a sibling or something, but if somebody outside the family tries to attack them, then you'll you'll defend them. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's very true. You don't have the right to do that. Yeah, yeah. So
0: one thing before we move on to some of my thoughts about the film, I've read this, that the different powers that the five main characters the five main superheroes have or six i guess if you could count frozone as well they all represent something about their personality or their role in the family so the stereotype of a mom needing to be super flexible a mom needing to be able to do everything at once right so she's stretching over here she's stretching over there then you have the young boy who has so much energy so he's the one who can run he's incredibly fast and then you have a high school girl who's insecure and, and, Self-conscious, and so she yeah. has
1: puts up force fields. She puts up walls to protect and she has the power of invisibility. She can make herself invisible.
0: Exactly. And then Mr. Incredible, the father of the house being the strong one. But like you said, putting so much emphasis on achievement in his career and accomplishment and not realizing that that strength really needs to be used on behalf of his family. And then I actually, I noticed this to this time. uh, And I thought, huh, I bet you this connection is meant meant to be there. I said, Frozone was doing some cool thing where he was shooting snow and skating on it. And I said, whoa, that's so cool. And I realized, oh, wait, that's probably the joke, right? (laughs) That like Samuel L. Jackson is voicing this character. Frozone is the coolest He's character, the cool character yeah. in the movie. And his power is literally related to ice. Making ice. Yeah. So um, yeah. Anyway, I think it is cool that he was taking these. Oh, and then Jack, Jack, the baby has limitless potential. So he his <laughs> powers, he has all these different powers <laughs> built into one because babies are kind of just potential. Right. Um, and they are one moment. They're super happy. One moment. They're, a little demon trying to rip your <laughs> hair out, right? So, it's cool how they designed that and how it plays out in the film.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. I think especially with the uh, the husband and wife, the strength of the husband, the flexibility of the wife is. I, I think you're right. There is probably a lot of uh, symbolism in that.
0: Yeah, I also think in terms of a superhero movie, the action <clears throat> is really cool. I just I just think Elastigirl. Because of the art of animation, you couldn't really do an Elastigirl live action movie because of the stretchiness. And so that's what's so cool about Pixar is that they take things that couldn't be done as well in a live action format. And they use the strength of their animation to create these superheroes that are awesome to watch. Um, Specifically, I think Elastigirl is a yeah. very
1: unique character. Well, one of the things she does that you almost wouldn't expect is uh, she turns herself into a parachute. <laughs> I think yeah. she does that a couple of times, actually, where she's able to just spread her whole body out uh, very thin uh, so that she becomes a parachute and helps them, you know, to float gently to the ground instead of crashing dangerously. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. All right, well, Porter, what is a cultural takeaway that, or a cultural message that you see in The Incredibles?
0: Like I mentioned, I used to really dislike the insurance scene and think it was super boring. And I realized watching it this time that I do think The Incredibles is trying to make a statement about bureaucracy and say that bureaucracy can actually sometimes really get in the way of helping people who need help. We see this insurance company that uh, is meant to help people, and yet the boss is angry that Bob is helping uh, his clients find the loopholes in the insurance company and help them get them their maximum uh, policies paid out to them. And Bob is like, "Aren't I in this? Aren't we in this business to help people?"
1: What did you think he, about that? He, yeah, and, and the the boss says we're in this to help our people, especially our stockholders. Yeah, <laughs> so, he says. What about our stockholders, Bob? <laughs> who's
0: helping them? Yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, it's a question of even in a company like that, an insurance company where they're supposed to pay out benefits to people when when something bad happens to them, the the bureaucracy is is resistant to them even fulfilling. <laughs> fulfilling that essential purpose of an insurance company,
0: it's kind of funny. I don't know if they were going this direction, but you could say that it's kind of an argument for limited government, like a small government because of the overreach in terms of limiting the powers of these superheroes, making them live in anonymity and the like the policies policies can get in the way of help being done being. Given, it seems to be one of the messages of the film.
1: Well, I think that the so you had the bureaucracy of the insurance company, but in a sense, the uh, politics of the whole society or whatever was this bureaucracy where they were more afraid of uh, being sued, uh, but than they were of you know crimes being allowed to to happen. And so uh, it's a it, it was kind of a similar thing. This sort of self protective. Uh, attitude of government officials who said we can't let these superheroes run around because they're doing things that are, you know, causing damage and making people, you know, sue us, which is maybe a different form of self destruction, like a society that says,
0: Oh, these people who are here to help us are too much of a hassle. So Well and it's and like the with the insurance
1: them. company, it's not full the purpose of an insurance company theoretically is to help people when they're in need. Well the purpose of a government is to protect people from harm and to and to help them when they're in need, but but instead the the government ends up wanting to protect itself rather than protecting the people. Uh, huh. and that's yeah. one way you could view it. Yeah. And so th-
0: It is cool how those themes really carry out throughout a lot of the different threads in the movie. So we've talked about some of these cultural implications of the movie. Now I'm interested, obviously the message of family is one that we can take away as Christians watching this movie and the importance of loving your spouse and caring for your children. But do you see any other kind of lessons that we can take
1: away from a Christian perspective? Like theological lessons, you Yeah. Mean? Well, what struck me as sort of a theological theme in this movie was just the idea of salvation. Uh, in this movie, you have superheroes who are repeatedly saving people, in a, in a literal sense, people from, you know, life-threatening situations, and you would think of that as a positive thing, but it turns out that some people don't want to be saved. Hmm. And uh it, it, that struck me as sort of a, an analogy to the gospel where there are people who, you know, reject the message of the gospel. They they don't really want to be saved. They don't take the threat seriously or um or they just uh don't see the benefit that's being offered to them or they see something that's being denied to them yeah. when they um, you know they have to sacrifice something and so um, they if you ask them you know don't you want to be saved they'll say no <laughs> mm. yeah well and for a
0: lot of people salvation doesn't seem attractive they'd rather have what they have now
1: than being saved, well, yeah. and the ultimate sim- symbolism of that was this scene which begins the crackdown on the superheroes where you see this person falling from a high building and Mr. Incredible actually saves the person from falling to their death. And it turns out it was a suicide attempt and the person and they sue. They see Mr. Incredible because the the, and they have the lawyer actually saying, my client did not want to be saved. You know, it was perhaps most clear that the symbolism was kind of most clear cut in that that key scene, which really is a turning point of the movie.
0: Do you think the film would turn that back on Mr. Incredible himself and say he is someone who does not want to be saved? I think you could argue it does. In what way? He wants to work alone. And, and all the superheroes want to work alone. So the reason this syndrome has been able to wipe out so many superheroes is because he's been promising them, hey, if you come to this island, I'll give you a chance to be a hero again. They're not asking questions. Mm. They're not saying, wait, can I bring a team of my friends to come help fight this? They're going individually to their death because they don't want help. And there's one point at which Syndrome makes fun of Mr. Incredible because of the homing device that went off uh, and says, look at you, Mr. Incredible, calling for help. You're Mm. weak. Like this idea of if you call for help, you're weak. And that is a lie that Mr. Incredible has internalized. And I think that is a lie that the human heart has internalized. Is that, oh, like I can do this life thing by myself? I do not. If I admit I need salvation, that it, that's admitting I can't do this myself. Can't just right? do it myself. And yeah. that to admit the need for help is is frightening
1: for people, including
0: that, Mr. Incredible. Yes. Right? Yeah.
1: Very good, Porter. I hadn't quite thought of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course, the help that ultimately comes for him. It's his family. Yeah. Uh his, his family uh figures out where he is and they they come to the rescue and save him. So And the only
0: person or the only heroes to defeat Syndrome and this robot are a team. He is that robot was never defeated by an individual. It's actually it requires the community, like you're saying. So he uh anyway, I think I think you're right, Dad, that there's a certain sense of do we want, are we willing to admit our need for salvation, admit our need for help? And there's that on a societal level are they willing to admit they need superheroes to help them? Right. And then for the superhero, are you willing to admit that you need help to accomplish the challenges in front of you? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's good. Do you personally think there are ways in your life or in our family that you've seen that you've learned that lesson or needed to um kind of confront some of these similar ideas in your life
1: well um it's a challenge for me because i i tend to be a little bit of a loner and so it, it it is a challenge to me to say you know that I, no I need other people but I certainly think my life would not be what it what it is without my without my wife uh, she has been a support and you know helped me in in so many ways and it's interesting that when we first uh, met and and got married we were traveling as part of a team. Uh, a team doing ministry in Covenant Players, a Christian drama ministry. And so we had to, we were co-unit leaders, but we had to work with a team, you know, uh, people under us. And uh, so we had that, certainly had that experience Mm -hmm. um, that, that that was foundational to our marriage. I think now, Forty, you haven't had the experience of the sibling experience yeah. <laughs> being an only yeah. child. But I certainly think that um, we uh, are close as a family and uh, committed to one another and have made sacrifices for one another. Did you and your sisters growing up
0: get along or did you have a dash and violent dynamic with your sisters or... You were the little kid with all the energy. I was
1: the little, so yeah, I was the little brother. Um, I have two older sisters and (laughs) my wife, Kristen, though looks at pictures of us when I was little and she says, oh, you know, you were the prince or whatever. I don't, I don't remember it being that way, but um, (laughs) yeah, we, I definitely had conflict. It was interesting. Um, I think that I perceived there... uh, to be kind of a peck, a little bit of a pecking order so that my oldest sister sort of picked on my younger sister, uh, my next sister, and my next sister picked on me. So I got along better when I, as a child, I got along better with my oldest sister, but because um, we weren't right next to each other in the yeah, pecking yeah. order. But that, that's how I perceived it. I have never really uh, discussed it with them, so I'll <laughs> see how they react to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but um, yeah, but I think, I think we have in a sense, maybe become closer as adults than we mm-hmm. were as children when we lived in the same home. Uh, and of course, having lost both of our parents that, uh, that brings us closer as well. Yeah. We only have each other. We have to rely on each other. Well, yeah. Thanks for sharing
0: dad. I agree with you that I think our family has really grown through learning to rely on each other and has bonded in. Recent, I honestly feel like even the last several years, even since I've been out of the house, that we've bonded a lot uh, as a family. And I'm appreciative of that. And I always love to hear stories of you growing up with your sisters. <laughs> and it's fun for me to picture you and Aunt Kathy and Aunt Margaret as kids
1: growing up together. Well, Porter, uh, tell me what uh, sort of theological uh, implications you saw in The Incredibles.
0: Yeah, so I'm in seminary right now. So a lot of my thinking is about discipleship and ministry. So I apologize if this is, feels a little too narrow of a view and doesn't hit the whole audience. But this is what, it's, what struck me. I think that this movie could send a message to the American pastor. Okay? So I think the American pastor needs to realize that flourishing for their church will come when they unleash the gifts of their community rather than relying on their own gifts. So I think that we have a problem in the U.S. where churches expect that their pastor is the spiritual one in the congregation who will do all the ministerial care, all the teaching, all the preaching, all the evangelism, and they must merely show up. Well, then that leaves some... Congregants feeling like they're stuck in a cubicle. They have these gifts that God's (laughs) given them and yet they're just told to show up. Like that's what their contribution to Christian community is, is showing up. Um, Meanwhile, the pastor is like, I need to guide my church. I need to be the one to lead with this strength and sometimes can become pretty self-reliant. So I really think that we need to move forward thinking about the different spiritual gifts of the church community, rather than relying on one individual to be the head of the church. Because they're not the head. Christ is the head. And we are the body together. And the pastor is just another part of that body. Anyway,
1: what do you think, Dad? Well, I definitely think, I mean, you've touched on an important point, because I think an important point, uh, Theme that you could draw from this is that the superpowers are symbolic of uh, spiritual gifts, yeah. If you want to take it in a spiritual sense, that there are, you know, uh, and one of the things that's interesting is there are such a variety of them in this movie. There is discussion at least about a lot of different superheroes, you don't see them all in action, you only see a, a couple actually in action, but you hear about you know, gazer beam who has this, you know, yeah. power of eyes and, and all of these different superheroes who have these different superpowers and that, you know, and, and even within the family, each of the yeah. family members has a difference. They're all superheroes, but they all have different superpowers. So, um, that really is representative of the family of Christ, where we are one body and we all have different abilities and different, yeah. different gifts. And the works of the ministry
0: need to be flowing from the whole body, not just certain isolated parts. So we have these scenes where Violet keeps saying, Mom, you said to never use my powers like you said I wasn't supposed to use my powers. And I do believe that some of our church models are just set up in a way that the person in the pews doesn't have necessarily the opportunities to use their gifts and isn't being empowered to use their gifts outside the walls of the church. Maybe they're told, oh, you're a good teacher, come to teach Sunday school, or you're a good evangelist, come work with the youth. But... I don't know. I just think that we as a church need to think about how can we unleash the collective intelligence and the collective giftings of the body of Christ in a more powerful way. And I think pastors need to do some some work in humility in order for that to become a reality, just like Mr. Incredible needed to learn about the need to rely on his family for support and fight evil alongside of his family instead of, oh, I need to fight evil myself to protect this family without allowing them to engage in the fight.
1: Well, I think also, though, that some uh, Christians need to have a greater zeal for using their spiritual gifts. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And I think we, we kind of saw that even maybe with the two with the brother and sister, I felt like Dash was eager to use his gifts um, and, and and wanted to, uh, you know, wasn't finding the proper outlet for it. He was frustrated at not finding the proper outlet to use his superpower. Um, Violet, on the other hand, was more interested in self-protection, it seemed yeah. like, at least in the beginning of the movie. She wasn't interested in how she could, you know, um, use her gifts to excel or to help other people, she was more uh, just using them to protect herself. Uh, and it wasn't until later that she, as she grew and matured, <coughs> where she realized that um, it was important. I mean, and she a-
0: and her hair no longer covers her eyes. She is she goes through a physical transformation where her she's no longer hiding behind her hair. And she now has both
1: eyes, so she's become less insecure as well. One of the scenes that made me, um, that did make me cry, I think, was uh, they are that so, Elastigirl, the the wife and the and the ki- the two kids are in a plane. They're in a jet on the way to this island where uh, they've discovered that uh, Mr. Incredible is, and. There are these missiles that have been fired at them to try to take their plane down. And the mom tells Violet she has this power of creating force fields. She tells her, "You have to put a force field around the plane, you know." And and she kind of she kind of sparks a little bit, and 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 she she's screaming at her, "You have to do it! You have to do it now!" And she doesn't do it, and the plane gets blown up. Mm-hmm. And and but the that's one of the scenes where Alaska girl turns herself into a into a parachute and she's she's able to reach out grab mm. her children out of the air yeah. uh, with her long stretchy arms they float down land in the ocean but they're still alive but violet at that point had failed mm. she had failed her family you know mm. and she she failed to use her power to help them and and i felt i felt so sad for her mm. you know at that point
0: but that Is the result of being told for years, you are not allowed to use Right, You're not
1: allowed to use it. So
0: all of a sudden your mom's yelling at you, use it, use it. (laughs) If you haven't been trained how to use that gift, if you, if it's just been sitting on the sidelines for years, you're not going to be able to create a force field to save the plane. Right. Right. Well, there's one line I really wanted to emphasize to, to make this point. And I think it's a line that, or that church leaders can benefit from. So what... Mr. Incredible, he says to his wife, I am not strong enough. He says, I'm going to go fight this robot myself because I'm not strong enough. And she's like, what do you mean? Is this some sort of game to you? Is this some sort of vacation? And he says, I can't lose you again. So what he means is, oh, I'm not strong enough to deal with the fact that I might lose my family if I let them fight. Not
1: strong enough emotionally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But then she says this great line to him. Where he says, I'm not strong enough. And she says, if we work together, you won't have to be. And that is the beautiful reality of being a part of the family of Christ. Is that if we work together, if we rely on each other as a body of Christ, we don't have to be strong enough in and of ourselves to lead the world to Christ, to... uh, shepherd and evangelize and be an apostle or a teacher, all these different important gifts, God has given us each other. And when we feel like oh, I'm not strong enough, may we remember when we work together, you don't have to be, you don't have to be the strong enough, um, which I think is beautiful. And obviously in Christ, the whole thing is we're not strong enough. And that we have to rely on his strength, and like, kind of back to your point, salvation needs to come through reliance on the admitting you need help from someone else, not just through right. self reliance. Right. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts, Dad? We've had a, this has been a good conversation. Anything we haven't touched that you really wanted to talk about?
1: Well, did you want to talk about which character we think each yes, other? Yes, that'll in? be the last part. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> So yeah, let's do that now. Oh, or uh, I mean, I, I did have one other thing I was going okay, yeah, to mention. Okay, With Frozone, there y- you hear his wife, oh, but yeah. you never see her.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: that it's a very funny scene where it, this conversation between Frozone and his wife. And I was thinking, I'd like to meet Frozone's wife, and <laughs> what is her superpower? You know. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, yeah. I think uh, the one of the most iconic lines in the history of Pixar is. The greater good, I am your wife. I am the greatest good you are ever going to get. Like, I, I do think that is one of the most iconic lines. So, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, yeah, now it's that time of the show, Dad, where we get to to say who the other person is. Now, it's interesting because this is a family, a movie about a family and it's father son here. So uh, I'm intrigued to hear what you have to say, but I'm going to go first this time. Okay. Usually my guest has been going first, but I'm going to go first. (laughs) So I do think that you are Mr. Incredible. So (laughs) yeah. uh, Thank you. Yeah. um, Not necessarily because of the amount you can bench press. Not in looks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think you could uh, bench press a train, No. Um, but I do think that you are a, Leader of your family, and that one of the like you mentioned earlier, one of the lessons that you learn is that you need to rely on other people. You're a five on the enneagram, is that right? I don't, I don't know what I am on. the enneagram. <laughs> He's a five. <laughs> no, uh, I, I think he. You're, you're the the collector of information. Type. Yeah, you love to research. You love your books. Yes, and so. I think you also learn to, you know, expand outside of kind of accomplishment in career or in knowledge and information into relational love. And I think you've demonstrated that in many ways to mom and I over the years. And I'm really grateful for your fatherhood. And you played a lot of catch with me and sports. just as uh, uh, Mr. Incredible and Dash throw the football around, we played a lot of wiffle ball back in our day. Yep. On the the grassy knoll right here, outside the window here. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I'm grateful for
1: Mr. Incredible in my life here. (laughs) Well, thank you. Your turn. Well, well, um, so, yeah, I think I kind of thought it would be too obvious to pick you, uh, pick the son or, you know, as one of the, as the character that you resemble. So I, I guess I sort of think of you as being like Frozone. Oh, uh,
0: <laughs> oh wow. I love that.
1: Tell <laughs> yeah, me why. cool. Uh, I think you are he is the friend. He is the one guy that is the is the friend to Mr. Incredible and and they do things together and um and I just think that you are you are such a good friend. You are committed to your friendships even as you I, as with this podcast a friend in me, um you you um you really value uh friendship and i i saw that in frozone in this movie so that that's who i saw you as being like
0: Aw. and
1: (laughs) we're pals we're friends with each other yes that's true
0: (laughs) yeah we can go out and fight crime together no (laughs) just kidding Um, we can
1: go out and try to save the world together read books together Uh, (laughs) we Um, can uh i i like early in the movie um Mr. Incredible says, no matter how many times you save the world, they don't stay saved.
0: <laughs> Which is my problem with the MCU right now, the Marvel Universe. It's like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> like at, at what point do you just kind of shrug and say, well, it will always keep happening? No, I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, well, thanks so much, Dad. This was a great conversation. I'm glad we got to watch this movie together.
1: Well, well, thank you. I've, uh, you know, enjoyed watching movies uh, ever with you ever since you were little. So uh, it's great that we got to watch this one again, which, as you said, is one of my favorites and uh, and talk about it. Well, I love you, Dad. I love you, too.
0: All right. There you have it. That was my conversation with my dad about The Incredibles. It was super special to have him on the air. And I think having someone from a different generation really helped Add some new flavor to the podcast. So I hope in the future I can continue to intersperse some different generations into the mix to spice up the conversations. But yeah, thank you so much, Dad. And I hope all you listeners appreciated that. Now, I think one of the things that's most relatable when watching The Incredibles is the temptation towards self reliance that we see Mr. Incredible giving into the temptation to make life about oneself and what one can achieve. And you see, Mr. Incredible, he is a caring person. He cares about helping others, and he loves his family. And yet, he gives in to the deception of Mirage. He gives in to the temptation to make life about himself, to try to prove his achievements once again, to demonstrate his greatness and that leads to problems. Pastor Eugene Peterson says, the self is persistent, quietly, subtly, ingeniously. It works itself back to the center. So even within a superhero who, whose passion in life is helping those in need and who has a family that he loves dearly, the self is ingenious. It is quiet, it is subtle, and it sneaks itself back to the center Of Mr. Incredible's life and tells him that he needs to prove his greatness, that he needs to defeat the robot by himself just to scratch that ego itch that has been missing since the powers have been banned. But then, of course, that doesn't work out well for him, and he gets to the end of his rope. And at the end of the movie, as my dad and I discussed, he says, I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. That's a point in each of our lives that we have to reach when we recognize that we, by ourselves, are not strong enough. And some of us have to come to that realization every day because the self is so persistent. But it's a good realization to come to, even though it's a hard one. Pascal, the philosopher, once said, It is good to be weary and worn out in the vain pursuit of the true good, so that we may open our arms to the Redeemer. It is good to recognize that we are not strong enough by ourselves and that the self-reliance that we are constantly tempted to will not actually lead to flourishing, but will lead to weariness and decay. The Bible is clear. That self-reliance does not lead to salvation. That it's actually a self-surrender to God that needs to happen in order for us to enter into true rest and fulfillment. I'm going to read a little bit from Ephesians 2. This is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The grace of God needs to be the thing that defines our life, not our accomplishments, not our achievements. There is no room to boast in our acceptance of salvation. It comes from Him. It's a gift. And yet, we also see here that we were created to be great, to be masterpieces, to be God's handiwork. You see, Mr. Incredible was a great man, but his greatness only came when he surrendered and when he realized that he couldn't do it by himself and that he needed his family. And the same is true for us, friends, that we are created. To be great, but our greatness only comes when we recognize that it is a gift from our Creator, that it is a gift of grace, and that the self needs to be laid down so that God's grace can fill us up and make us who we were truly meant to be. You know, I myself struggle pretty much every single day with that persistent and subtle self that comes to the surface and begs for attention and and tries to dethrone Christ from my heart. It'll pop up when I see my friends get something that I want, and instead of rejoicing with them, I choose to be jealous. Or it'll come up when I want to invest deeply in my own self-improvement and my own pleasure and my own fun, and I just ignore the care of the others around me. It even comes up as I make this podcast and as I am tempted to make it just about me and building my own name up rather than making it about God and his glory and his kingdom. The self is persistent and it continually pops up. That's why we need to choose repentance. We need to decide to lay down the self. I think the film demonstrates repentance when Mr. Incredible finally says to his family that he was wrong in trying to make it about himself, that he was selfish and that he had forgotten what they truly meant to him. In the Christian life, repentance is crucial because it dethrones the self from the heart and allows God to rightfully reign in our lives. Here's a quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, Repentance is not an emotion. It is not feeling sorry for your sins. It is a decision. It is deciding that you have been wrong in supposing that you could manage your own life and be your own God. It is deciding that you were wrong in thinking that you had or could get the strength, education, and training to make it on your own. It is deciding that you have been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world. And it is deciding that God in Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is a realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things and thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of peace. Friends, may we be people of repentance. When we reach the end of our rope and we recognize that we are not strong enough, may we turn to the one who with joy in his eyes tells us, You were never meant to be strong enough by yourself, child. But in me, you are more than a conqueror. Friends, may we turn today and every day to the God who is strong enough to save through the mighty riches of his grace. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope this was an encouragement to you as it was to me. Thanks again to my dad for joining me on this episode. And thanks as always to Maggie Bishop for the wonderful music. Don't forget to be looking out for that Patreon bonus episode and for that live stream on Lightyear, July 8th. Take care, everybody, and God bless.